0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Many gene therapy companies seek to exploit a platform technology or leverage a specific vector. Rocket Pharmaceuticals is pursuing a multi-platform pipeline of treatments that directly target the genetic mutation underlying rare childhood disorders. We spoke to Gaurav Shah, CEO of Rocket, about the company's approach to gene therapy, the conditions it's targeting, and how it determines what gene therapies it will pursue. Gaurav, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about Rocket Pharma, its pipeline of gene therapies, and its agnostic approach to these medicines. Uh, Before we discuss some of the specific indication Rocket is pursuing, I wanted to start with a more general question about the company's approach. Many companies in this space are, are leveraging a platform technology, specific set of vectors, or some other basic technology. That's not the case with Rocket. What's the thinking behind that, and does it require different skill sets or expertise from one therapeutic candidate to another?
1: Yeah, great question. So first of all, the company was started six years ago by a group of, of health providers, physicians and scientists, and, and um, most importantly, Folks who are focused on the clinical side of things rather than early discovery. And as a result, just the lens through which we look at developing a pipeline is going to be clinical focused, right? So we start with the end in mind, which is what are diseases where there is a large unmet need and a large number of patients who don't have available treatment options? That's how we start. And then we look back and say, you know, we asked the question, what is the appropriate enabled technology? What technology makes sense to address this disease in the field of gene therapy? And in those efforts, we found two technologies which were advanced enough to support these patients in the near term and at most medium term. And those two were the in vivo AAV platform and the ex vivo Lenti platform. So in many senses, In some sense, we're platform agnostic, but in some sense, uh, it's not about a platform approach, but more of a clinical disease approach.
0: Given that Rocket is not tied to a platform technology, what drives the selection of programs that Rocket chooses to pursue?
1: The way we select assets and pick diseases to try to cure potentially is three ways. One, we want to have a clear, clean, on-target me- mechanism of action that predicts a good response with gene therapy. What does that mean? You want to hit the cell of interest and the protein of interest directly. For example, Danon disease is a disease of the heart in which a certain protein called LAMP2 is missing. And because of the missing protein, these patients Uh, build debris in their cells and therefore go into heart failure. So what we do is we correct the LAMP2 problem in cardiomyocytes, heart cells. So we insert a correct version of LAMP2 into cardiomyocytes in an attempt to reverse the disease at the core, at the root. And that is how we start looking at assets. Secondly, we want to look for achievable endpoints. And what does that mean? Endpoints sometimes take time. So just because you can restore a protein and make these cardiomyocytes, these heart cells better, doesn't mean you can do it in a relatively short amount of time. It it, it could take a decade or more, right? So we find diseases where the preclinical data, the preclinical models suggest that we can reverse the disease course in a reasonable amount of time, meaning say one to two years. And then third, we want to go after diseases where we can have a sizable population. So the uh, resource investments we make into these technologies and these diseases um, can benefit a large number of patients, patients. And we try to be first, best and only in class, which is also important. We think it's important to be only in class in this field because that way we are pursuing drug development methodically, strategically, and not rushing to certain endpoints just because certain stakeholders want them. And I think that's an important part of our thesis as well. Out of the 7,000 or so rare diseases that that we know about today that affect 300 million people, um, we, we try to carve out large segments of the population so we can address them one by one as we grow our pipeline.
0: You're pursuing both lentiviral vector therapies and AAV therapies. What determines the appropriate vector for a particular condition?
1: Excellent question. So as I mentioned before, we we start with the disease in mind first and then do apply the correct platform or technology AAV versus Lenti. The ex vivo Lenti programs are best suited for bone marrow derived diseases. And that's because when you remove stem cells from the marrow, you are able to insert a correct gene, and those stem cells, when reinfused into the body, automatically hone to the bone marrow. In other words, there's a word called tropism. They have tropism for the bone marrow. So you can take the stem cells and put them outside the body, but when you correct them, they go back to the bone marrow, right? So, in other words, we can treat these stem cells outside the body. That's why it's called ex vivo. And we use a vector called lentivirus vector, which works very well in the ex vivo setting to correct these stem cells. So for bone marrow-derived disorders, ex vivo Lenti is a commonly preferred approach. For other organs like heart, liver, CNS, eye, an in vivo AAV approach may work better. And that's because the AAV vector, it's a viral vector, just like Lenti, has tropism directly for those organs. For example, AAV9, which is our program in Danone disease, an AAV9-based gene therapy, it's the ninth version of that AAV, um, it's a capsid called AAV9, right? That has a direct tropism for heart tissue, more so than most other organs. So when we infuse that directly into the vein, just like the stem cells go to the bone marrow, the AAV9 directly actually goes to the heart. So that's how we select the platform, starting with the disease in mind first.
0: You have two lead experimental therapies that are in phase two studies. The first is RPL102, which is in development for the rare genetic condition, Fanconi anemia. What is Fanconi anemia?
1: Fanconi anemia is, it's a rare disorder. It affects mostly children, but also uh, continues to affect these children as they grow into adults. It's a disorder of DNA repair that results in bone marrow failure, and a predisposition to cancer, especially leukemia and head and neck cancer. And without a bone marrow transplant, these patients have bone marrow failure by the age of 10 in most cases and go on to develop leukemia and pass away in their teens and 20s. But even with a bone marrow transplant, these patients later get head and neck cancer and live longer, but still tend to pass away, unfortunately, in their 30s. So really a devastating disorder.
0: And how does the condition manifest itself and progress?
1: So two-thirds of Fanconi anemia cases are caused by genetic defects in a gene called fank a and the rest one-third are other FANC subtypes such as C, G, and others. These subtypes are known as Fanconi anemia complementation groups. So as mentioned before, most patients, unfortunately, have bone marrow failure. Actually, this occurs in about eighty percent of patients by the time they're age ten.
0: And what treatment options exist today? What what is the prognosis for patients with the condition?
1: An allogeneic bone marrow transplant can work. It can potentially cure patients of the hematologic mean mean the blood manifestations of the disease. But the issue with allogeneic transplant is that one, it's not Always available. In fact, we've learned that only one third of patients who actually need a bone marrow transplant with Fanconi anemia are getting a bone marrow transplant. But it's also limited by toxicities, including graft-versus-host disease, and graft-versus-host disease can be painful for the patient and also result in some early death. What's even worse is that graft-versus-host disease increases the risk of head and neck cancer, in some cases, by 30-fold or more. So patients who get bone marrow transplant do potentially have a cure of the blood disorder, between the bone marrow failure and the leukemia, but they have much higher incidence later for head and neck cancer.
0: What is RPL-102? How is it prepared, and how does it work?
1: RPL-102 is our ex vivo lentiviral gene therapy, candidate, which is now in a phase two registration study for the treatment of this disease, Fanconi anemia. And it contains stem cells that have been genetically modified. They've been uh, aphorised from patients via uh, basically taking circulating blood and and extracting it from the body. And these cells are then bathed with a lentiviral vector that contains a correct version of either the gene fank a gene for now but eventually all the fank complement types like i mentioned above before and then reinfuse into the body so that drug product that is genetically modified but derives from the patient's own marrow is reinfused into the marrow and it potentially if given early enough in life can treat ongoing bone marrow failure but it can also prevent future bone marrow failure there's something interesting in fanconi anemia the cause of the disorder is also the key to curing it. And what do I mean by this? The disease is caused by disorders in DNA repair, and because of DNA repair damage, these stem cells fizzle away and lead to bone marrow failure, right? So DNA repair uh, issues lead to bone marrow failure. The correction of the disease relies on that same process. When we reinfuse the gene-corrected cells, the old disease cells die off on their on their own so we actually don't need to use conditioning or chemotherapy to wipe out disease cells that are existing in the bone marrow now all we have to do is reinfuse these corrected cells that i just mentioned were corrected outside the body they go to the bone marrow and over time they replace the disease cells because they have a selective advantage over those disease cells and this is actually set up quite an upside for patients and caregivers because you're not subjecting patients to traditional chemotherapy, yet they're still able to undergo an, an, a transplant with corrected gene, with gene corrected cells rather.
0: What's known about the approach from studies that have been done to date?
1: So we've treated nine patients with l 102 And of these nine patients, six at least are now showing some evidence of engraftment without any chemotherapy. And this is because of this selective advantage being manifest. In fact, of these six, four have now shown chimeric marrow, meaning that some of their stem cells in the bone marrow are no longer looking like Fanconianemia cells. In fact, the way we diagnose Fanconianemia is looking at stem cells in the bone marrow and evaluating them in the presence of Chemotherapy, such as mitomycin C. And if all those cells don't survive, if those cells die, then that patient has Fanconi anemia. If the cells survive, that patient doesn't have Fanconi anemia. Some of the marrow of the patients we've treated looks like their cells survive mitomycin C. So at the root diagnostic modality available for Fanconi anemia, these patients don't look like Fanconi anemia patients anymore, which is a remarkable testament to the. Power of the selective advantage here.
0: The other phase two program you have is for leukocyte adhesion deficiency. What is ALD?
1: Yeah, LED one is in some ways very near and dear to our hearts at Rocket. It's a rare devastating disease. In fact, I would say that it defines the word or redefines the word devastating. This is a disease caused by mutations in a gene encoding a protein called CD18. You need CD18 on certain white cells for those white cells to get out of the bloodstream and fight infection. Without that CD18, these patients have recurrent pneumonia and other infections, and uh, they can be very fatal early in life.
0: And what happens to someone who has LAD1? What what is the prognosis for them? And and how are they treated? Are, are there any available therapies today?
1: Sadly, some of these infections, like pneumonias and other infections, can lead to early death. In fact, two thirds of these children pass away by the age of two. So, again, redefining the word devastating. And allogeneic transplant can also treat LAD1 effectively, but because the disease is so rapid, and rapidly fatal, often it's not possible to find marrow or a match in time. So we see a lot of patients die without even being evaluated for a transplant, very sadly.
0: You're developing RPL-201 to treat this condition. Is it similar to what you're doing with Fanconi anemia?
1: It is very similar. In fact, it's also an ex vivo lentiviral gene therapy treated much like we had just mentioned on Fanconi anemia. And in this case, we do have to employ chemotherapy conditioning to wipe out the old diseased marrow stem cells and replace them with the new gene-corrected stem cells. And once this drug product, RPL201, is reinfused, it naturally hones to the bone marrow. And we're finding in patients that it is working.
0: And what's known about that from studies that have been done to date?
1: So, most recently, we reported data at ESGCT, which is the European Society for Gene and Cell Therapies, just recently in October. And these data demonstrated that in the patients that we had treated, in fact, seven out of seven patients who have been followed for at least three months after this gene therapy infusion have had restoration of CD18 levels between 25 and 80% of normal. So a normal person would have 100%. And these patients have had restored CD18 25 to 80%. We've learned from natural history, the history of patients who go untreated, that less than 2% is severe LAD and those patients pass away by the age of two in many cases. In fact, in most cases, levels of CD18 of 10% or higher are associated with a normal lifespan. So 25 to 80%, we believe, should confer a normal lifespan on these patients. And many of them are much clinic, very much clinically improved. Some of them are off of all prophylactic antibiotics at this point. So uh, in some ways, this is the sort of disease that gene therapy was invented for. And for LAD1, like for anemia, we'll be reporting updates at ASH in December.
0: Earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned Dannon disease. You, you, you are developing a, a gene therapy for for this condition, which is a cardiomyopathy, It involves intellectual disability. This is uh, an AAV program, is it not?
1: Correct. In vivo AAV.
0: What's the prognosis today for patients with this condition and, and what treatment options exist, if any?
1: Dannon disease is an X-linked disorder. So it does affect boys earlier and more severely than, than females for boys their their median age of you know their median longevity is 19 years old so by age 19 unfortunately these boys either pass away or in some cases which is also not very common they can receive a heart transplant and there are about 15 to 30,000 patients in the U.S. and Europe with Danon disease, that's our current estimate.
0: What is RPA five hundred one, and, and how does it work?
1: Right. So RPA five hundred one. This is our AAV gene therapy, and potentially, by the way, could be the first gene therapy for a monogenic, meaning a single gene cause of heart failure. And it contains an AAV nine capsid, which, as I mentioned, loves the heart, combined with a restored Lamp two. In this case, the LAMP2B isoform of the transgene. The LAMP2 is a protein that is important in something called autophagy, which is like the vacuum cleaner of a cell. And as I would mentioned earlier, without this protein, debris starts building up in the cell and these patients uh, r- rapidly progress to heart failure. And RPA501, we just presented data earlier this week. We've seen now sustained clinical benefit in four patients, in all four patients who have long-term follow-up. Three of these four patients also received closely monitored immunosuppressive therapy, including steroids and other immunosuppressive agents. And in these three patients, not only are are we seeing stabilization like we are in a fourth patient who did not uh, have close monitoring of this immunosuppression, but in these three patients, we're actually seeing potential evidence of remodeling of the heart as early as 12 to 18 months after therapy. And we see, number one, improvements in New York heart class, heart association class from two to one in those three patients, meaning that they they are symptomatic uh, with regard to their heart failure after this treatment, again, as early as 12 to 18 months out. We also saw concomitant drops in a protein marker that circulates in the blood called BNP, brain natriuretic peptide. BNP drops are also associated with improving heart failure. In fact, patients who are worsening with Danon disease have increases in NYHA class as well as BNP. And then finally, and importantly, we're seeing physical evidence remodeling because the thickness of the ventricle walls is going down in these patients. These data are early. They're limited in terms of number of patients and time for follow-up, but highly encouraging at this early phase one data point.
0: And, and does this cross the blood-brain barrier? How, how is it delivered?
1: Yeah, this is delivered through intravenous infusion and it gets straight to the heart, uh, you know, just IV like, like any agent would. AAV9, however, is also known to potentially cross the blood-brain barrier Uh, Systemic AV9 was used for the Avex's Zolgensma program, which is a CNS disorder. So there are CNS manifestations of Dannon as well that could be affected uh, positively with this therapy.
0: As you think across the the pipeline here, what's the regulatory path forward? And when might you be in a position to seek uh, approval for the first therapy?
1: So for Dan and disease, our regulatory path is as follows. We will finish our phase one. We've started a pediatric cohort. We recently initiated dosing in pediatric. In our case, it's age eight to 14. Ultimately, these are the patients who may benefit the most from gene therapy because it's almost preventative in these patients. And we will finish the phase one with two to four patients in this cohort, hopefully only two if there are no safety events, which there have not been so far. And then we'll approach the FDA after a reasonable amount of follow-up from these patients to design what we anticipate could be a pivotal phase two trial with one or more of the endpoints that I discussed above as being potential registration endpoints. We anticipate that we could start having those discussions with the FDA as early as toward the end of 2022.
0: And how about for either the lentiviral therapies that we had discussed?
1: So Fanconi anemia and LED one are both in, in pivotal registration trials now in agreement with both FTA and EMA. They are enrolling rapidly. In fact, LED one has completed enrollment of nine patients and FA enrollment is ongoing, but progressing pretty quickly. And at some point in 2022, We do think that we'll reach what we would call top-line data, means data that is ready to present for BLA and MAA filings. So both of those programs are on track for potentially the first commercialization for Rocket.
0: Rocket and AUKUS completed a $26.4 million private placement. How is that money being used, and, and how far will that funding take you?
1: So this is added on to funding that we've already had Uh, We currently have about $420 in cash, and that cash gets us into the second half of 2023. We're well-funded to advance all five of our current gene therapy programs and also to support both R&D development and manufacturing in our Cranberry, New Jersey facility where I'm sitting now. It's 100,000 square foot space. Our hope is that we could have five Potentially curative therapies available to rare disease patients in the U.S. and EU by 2025. And in addition to that, we hope to have more programs in the clinic in new indications that we find through the mechanism that that we discussed earlier.
0: Garav Shah, CEO of Rocket Pharma. Garav, thanks for your time today.
1: Thank you, Danny. Great chatting.